this is Joy. And this is Claire. And this is Joy and Claire. A weekly podcast talk show about the things that bring us together. Make us happy. Make us whole. Make us human. Hey guys, this is Joy and Claire. And this week on the show, we have a guest. We have Casper Turkile, and he's the author of The Power of Ritual, and he's also the co-host of the award-winning podcast, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Can you already tell that Claire is extremely excited for this episode? Uh, We sat down with Casper. He is a lovely, lovely human. We had a really great conversation about rituals and what they mean in our lives and how they impact our lives today, especially. I cry, and it's very emotional, but... uh, uh, at the beginning, I had to edit in this beautiful part where we're kind of setting up for the episode and lo and behold, Casper starts pouring himself a cup of tea from an actual teapot. I had to leave that in the episode. Anyway, here's the episode with Casper Turkile. Hello. There we go. Hi. Hi, hi, hi. We're going to record our intro later, so we'll just kind of dive into the conversation. You're having tea. Yes. <laughs> Um, so cute. He has a teapot. <laughs> this is very normal for English people, but yeah. It's so great. I know. Like, the actual presence of a real live teapot. Teapot was the greatest thing. It's like, okay, sure. Like, that was the greatest thing ever. Casper. Casper. We're so excited that you're here. Okay, so people might know you from your wildly popular podcast, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. I did not know about that podcast until I read your book, even though I love Harry Potter so much. So we're not going to talk too much about that, but I just want to acknowledge that that is a very cool thing that you do. And I want to acknowledge in case you, well, you don't know us, Casper, but Claire is a huge (laughs) Harry Potter fan. So I feel like you guys need to kind of get into it a little bit. There were so many times. So I've listened to your, the the reason that, well, there's many reasons, a plethora of reasons we are loving to have you on today. But the Mm -hmm. main one is that you recently released a book called The power of ritual and i have listened to it two times whoa i've listened to it once not twice but i maybe i can catch up and you read i listened to the audio version and i love that you read it too i love the audio version highly recommend (laughs) it um but as i was reading it i was like me and casper are gonna be friends (laughs) (laughs) i see it i really do i'm like this is a match made in heaven so yeah (laughs) So, okay. And then also for our listeners to know, because I always just love illuminating the weird ways that people connect. Um, Casper's research partner slash close friend slash, I don't even know how it is. Wife. Yeah, exactly. Sister wife (laughs) is somebody who I grew up with and we, and she and I reconnected like just a couple years ago. So there's just, you know, the different webs we weave. So we're so excited to have you on today. Yeah, if you guys haven't listened to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text and you love Harry Potter and you love nerding out about literary themes and, you know, you like that kind of thing, which I hope some of you listening do, because I really do. You're going to like that podcast. But you just wrote a book. And tell our listeners a little bit about what your book is about. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's really an exploration in this moment when more and more people in America are less and less religious. And at the same time, we're, you know, dealing with more loneliness, more isolation. Uh, What I really wanted to explore was like, how do we feel truly connected? Um, And so the whole book is 
basically looking at these, if you can call them spiritual technologies that help us feel deeply connected with ourselves, one another, um, the natural world, and and a sense of something bigger than ourselves, a sense of transcendence. Um, and so um, having been through divinity school as a gay atheist, uh, I was really interested <laughs> in, in I, I don't know if I'd still use exactly that language to describe myself now, but like, that's definitely how I came in. Um, you know, I was really interested in like practices that come out of religion that, that can still be really powerful. So thinking about how to reinterpret a tradition like Sabbath or sacred reading, like you were just talking about with the podcast, and, and trying to look at the ways in which sacred things are happening in secular spaces, like, for example, CrossFit boxes, um, and to, to, to basically blur the line between what counts as sacred, what counts as secular, all in the hope that it can help us feel really connected and, and at home in the world. So, okay, I, I wanted to start by talking about by that little, that little synopsis, because I think it leads straight into some really interesting stories about how you got to where you are right now as a human being. And um, at some point, I also yeah. really want to hear a little bit more about your mom. But uh. <laughs> every time you would bring her up, I was like, your mom sounds like a Waldorf teacher. <laughs> like every single thing you talked about, I was like, Casper, you did not have like a typical upbringing, really. You know what? Like you don't realize how unusual the things are until you get maybe to like even beyond high school, like maybe college or afterwards. And you're like, oh, well, it's around Michaelmas time. So of course, it's time to fill the cow horn with cow dung and bury it in the garden and dig up the one from last year and use it as manure. Isn't that what everybody does? And then you get like blank faces looking back at you. Um, or the moment when I woke up in high school and I found out that my mom had um, been part of a naked protest against the Iraq war and was on the front page of every national newspaper. That's amazing. Like, I'm not saying that I loved those moments then, but I do right. love them now. Uh <laughs> I love that. Okay. So I have to tell you on our, every week on our kind of, on our show, when we don't have guests, we ask our audience a question. Mm -hmm. And the question that we just finished asking them was what weird thing was normalized in your child, like non-traumatic weird thing was normalized in your childhood that like only later on did you find out was like really not normal. And you just are chock full of this. Chock full. I, that was the exact same thing I was just thinking. I'm like, he has the best answer, hands down. I mean, you're going to come sing to the barnyard animals on Christmas Eve with me with 300 other people with lanterns. Let's do it. 300 people though, like this was like a normalized abnormal thing. This And this really is one of the great gifts of my life was, was growing up in a village. And you, you joked about the Waldorf school, but that was the reason why why a lot of people had moved to the village. So there was a very, very strong community. And um, Waldorf schools, if you're not you know, familiar with, with it, it's a very kind of creative focus on education. It's a very holistic um, development of the child. And it has some wacky and weird things in it as well. And I ended up actually leaving that school when I, when I was about 10. But there was so much in the, the kind of cultural fabric of, of my family, but also the broader community that was very full of ritual. And so, you know, in every season, there was a celebration, there were crafts to be made and food to be baked and cooked. And, and, and you know, our back door was always open. And there was just so much life happening. And I think one of the, the great gifts of that was that, um, stepping into the to the normal world, right? like into dominant <laughs> culture, I, I, I've always had a sense like it doesn't have to be this way, right? Like it, I know it can be different because that's, that's what I grew up with. Um, and I, it's why I'm so passionate about like the, the gifts of ritual for people who are not necessarily religious because like we get to participate and create and inherit these 
these practices and these rituals, it doesn't have to be boundaried and, and exclusive, right? Like it can be really participative and inviting. Um, and, and that's what I experienced. Right. So, so you totally grew up with that. And my, like my kids been to, goes to a Waldorf preschool. Like I, I can totally relate to that yeah. sort of everything. It almost feels, you know, coming from the very standard American worldview at first, it almost feels like a little bit like pagan or something, you know, where oh, you're like, is. well, it I mean, totally it is literally can. pagan, but yeah. it's like, <laughs> it, it, that's where a lot of it comes from, but that it almost feels like you're walking into this thing where you're like, am I, is this cool? Like, am I cool to be here? Right. And, um, so, but for you, that was something you always had. So when you realize at whatever age that this was not something that everyone always had, what did that feel like? Well, I mean, if I can say one more word just on, you know, it has like, Waldorf has these like Christian influences and it has that pagan vibe. I think the best way that I can describe it for my childhood was like, you you live in a conception that everything is sacred, right? Like that there is beauty and meaning and 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 kind of maybe even some like hidden secrets in every toadstool right, and like every, fairies like right, literally fairies. fairies are here yes right exactly so like I would go for a walk with my grandmother and she'd be like can you see the fairies and I'd be like six and I'd be like lying yeah, they're yeah. in the corner of your eye <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. they're always there but you just can't see them so on the one hand you know I I went to like um Cub Scouts my mom was like, okay, this is a nice world, but I also want you to be in the real world. So you're going to go to Cub Scouts. Um, and, and I remember that was a real first kind of engagement with the world outside as a, as a sentient child, you know, age seven or eight. And I couldn't read or write because in the Waldorf school, it's at least the one I went to, there's a much later um, kind of focus on, on reading and writing. And so I felt stupid. I felt really embarrassed. I, I felt kind of ashamed. Um, and so I, from that moment on, I think, and certainly once I went to the kind of posh boarding school that I went to afterwards and entered into my like career, a lot of this stuff was like hidden away and kind of like, this is, this is nice, but like, it's a little dumb, right? Like it's a little weird. But like and, we still live in the world that we live in and like, you right, kind of exactly. got to find that middle ground. Exactly. And so that for me, one of the joys of writing the book was being able to figure out like, oh wait, how, how can I bring these two things together? Because like. I wouldn't have got, I don't know, like I ended up at Harvard studying in grad school. And like, I don't think I would have ended up there if I'd only stayed with the fairies. Right. But like, totally. if, if you, if you end up only in the like hot job search and like, you know, success metrics of our dominant culture, then you lose the fairies and like life isn't worth living. And so like, how, how, how can we, how can we bring those two things together? Um, I think is one of the, the, the big questions, I guess, that I'm trying to figure out every day. I have not succeeded fully, but, but the book is one, one exploration of, of what that looks like. So what I was thinking about was I grew up, I grew up Catholic. I'm from a pretty strict mm -hmm. Catholic family. And I just kept thinking about how, you know, when you're young, I think it's for me, I'm like, it was important to have those rituals. It was important to have that routine with my family and something that we kind of had that foundation. It's like values and how you treat people and character, but it was also like predictable. And yeah. so, especially with Catholicism, real predictable. And <laughs> so what I thought about was a moment mm. in my life when I was like in my 20s, I'm 43. <laughs> when I was in my 20s, I, well, actually younger than that, I studied abroad. I studied in France and I remember going to a Catholic church and I would go to a Catholic church on the weekends and I couldn't really understand me as studying French, but I couldn't understand everything they were saying, but I knew 
what they were doing. And it was like the same. And I just remember feeling like, oh, I'm home because I was homesick. And while I wasn't like a really strict practicing Catholic in my college years, I really just had like, I was that Mm. nostalgic feeling of like, I could almost cry thinking about it, just being home. And whenever I would travel, I would do the same thing of just like, if I felt homesick, I would go to a Catholic church and do Mm. mass. Um, I mean, but now, like, as I, as you age, you kind of question the values and how that lines up, and you still need that ritual. So that's kind of what I was thinking about when I was reading your book. I'm like, this is so important. It's so cool. Joy, I, I love that so much, because I think it holds these two things, which I think a lot of us are struggling with. Like, on the one hand, oh, I have real issues with the Catholic Church, right? Or like, <laughs> and there's plenty of reasons to have issues. Um, or, or, <laughs> For sure. I don't really... I don't really believe this or like, you know, as a gay person, I'm like, I'm not even welcome here really. Like, so on the one hand, that, which is super real. And then on the other hand, I love that you use that word home um, because one of, uh, one of my favorite (laughs) um, poets and and theologians, John O'Donohue, who I I quote in the book, who famously said the second best thing he ever did was to become a Catholic priest. And then the best thing he ever did was to leave the priesthood, which I just feel like is the, is the (laughs) perfect, like, so it's 100%. He talks about like when we live a, a life that has a rhythm, right. And I think you explained that so beautifully, especially if you're crossing space that you're still living in a rhythm of time. Like when you're living in a rhythm, you're living a holy life and you're living a a life where you're grounded and where you are at home in time. And I think for so many of us that don't have a religious community or that maybe do a little meditation on our own once in a while, but like, um, it's, it, it feels like we're being swept from one place to another. And that isn't that anchoring. Um, and, and then when we look at the institutions that are supposed to do it, we're like, but they don't reflect my values or like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure I'm welcome there. And so I feel like Angie and I talk about this sense of spiritual homelessness, that a lot of us are hungry and, and yearning and interested and open, um, but that, that there aren't really the homes for us that we, we want to be in or we haven't found them yet. And right. I think that's real, a real challenge, right? Maybe you're in an interfaith family, maybe, you know, whatever the reason, a lot of the institutions just are not designed to meet this moment. Yeah. Um, and that's, 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 painful yeah and it feels i know that sounds silly but it feels like a loss because like nothing when you grow up and you're just naive and you don't know any better and you do it because your family does it and then as you get older and you're like wait a minute i don't know if i believe this but that ritual feels like home to me you feel like it's a loss and then you don't know how to replace it so i i still think about that where it's just like wow i grew up with this and this was really important to me I don't have that anymore, but you do try to seek it out elsewhere. And, and you know, the sad thing for me is that like when, when, when we think about the word tradition, we're so often thinking about like, oh, the way that it's always done or like this is the, this is the, uh, you know, we have to maintain the thing that's always been there. And actually like a tradition that's powerful and vital and, 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 and useful is a tradition that is always changing, right? Like it holds on to something essential, but it finds new expressions. And I think that's such an, I feel that's an invitation to all of us to be like, okay, so I love the mass, um, and, and maybe there is a congregation that really works for me, in which case, great. But like, is there a way that I can find the essence of that and, and build it into my life now? And so um, maybe that's sharing a meal every week with the same people. Maybe it's making sure that like we sing as a family, we have some songs that we all like. I don't know what it is for each person, but I, I, I think there is um, an invitation and maybe even a responsibility for us to like 
find ways to to carry what was powerful into into this moment so that it can it can live, you know, that it can really serve us. Right. Know? We hear the word tradition and we think like that fiddler on the roof song. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's but yeah, Which I is think it's a great song. I <laughs> mean, don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but right, very static, very yeah. like limiting. Like you are limited by what's available to you in the, within this tradition. Not take this and then turn it into what it needs to be. Y- when did you finish writing your book? I finished writing. Oh gosh, probably early 2019. Okay, so a few things have changed about <laughs> the way we live our lives <laughs> uh, since. And in your because your book came out what like in May? Yeah, June, June this year. June. So. Even, you know, the the world you wrote your book for is different than the world the book was released into. And so many of the things that you talk about and that you've even already talked about in this episode are about doing things with other people, creating meals or, you know, going and seeking out these different things. And so much of that is not available to us right now. What, if anything, have you seen? And like, you know, if I get invited to one more Zoom happy hour, like I'm just, <laughs> I can't, I can't do it. How has that changed the way that you've had to think about mm-hmm. the rhythms of your life and also what do you feel like has been because I don't want to say like what are you doing that's different because I know we're all still just trying to figure that out but more so like throughout your book you you really express the urgency of our gener this generation and the time we are at as humanity right now that like we're really untethered yeah. and we're that has only increased a thousandfold in the last eight months what are you seeing mm-hmm. that has not that like has changed, but even like, what are you seeing that has stayed that you still can, can look to and hold on to? Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful question, Claire. And I think that um, in some ways the whole pandemic has shown how much human beings are ritual making creatures. Mm-hmm. Like the first thing that ever th- everyone was doing was taking the daily walk uh, right. Like we would all, we'd all go w- walk around the neighborhood in those first few weeks. I mean, we're entering this, this strange state where we're now expected to do everything that we would usually be doing <laughs> in terms of our productivity and work. Yeah. So I feel like a lot of that bread baking and that walking around the neighborhood is maybe lessened off or, or, or kind of, uh, dripped off right. a little well, bit. Well, we had like the howl or like the, like we right. had a howl. Oh, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Like there was a lot of beautiful ritual making, even so far as people saying like, oh, these are my weekday pants and these are my yes. weekend shorts. Like the way I know what day it is is because I've certain clothes that I wear, right? Like, so yeah. th- it's so interesting just to see that that chapter. For me, because we're, we're now even more reliant on technology to feel connected, the ritual that's become even more important that I that I write about in the book is, is my tech Sabbath. Um, and folks might be familiar with the idea of a digital detox, right? Taking some time away from our screens. But for me, it's been extremely helpful to actually ritualize that. So to, to turn off my phone, turn off my laptop, hide them in the shelf um, so that I can't see them, like put them behind some books because otherwise I'm just going to want to check my email and feel like I'm, you know, doing something um, rather than just facing existence. Um, and <laughs> I, yeah, it's but I know, right? It's a lot. Um, but, but I literally light a little candle and I stand there in my living room and sing this song that I learned in summer camp. And the, the reason why this has become such an important practice for me is, first of all, it gives me that sense of rhythm that we were talking about before, that sense of, you know, every week I know that's coming. Honestly, it also gives me something to look forward to, which right now I'm someone who so needs like something joyful that's coming. I Even if too. it's just a Friday night, I'm so excited about like, 
that's the only time I can really read a book, right? It's, I'm not going to be distracted. I'm really going to focus, you know, I'll burn some incense. Like it just feels like I'm going on vacation in my own home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that practice has become e- even more important. And I love so much of what the, the, the wisdom of that practice is about. Cause so often we talk about rest as being a time of preparation for work, right? Like it's like, Oh, you're doing this so that you're going to recharge your batteries. And what, um, the Jewish tradition teaches us, Abraham Joshua Heschel, the great, great Jewish theologian of the 20th century, he, he writes in this lovely little book called The Sabbath that um, that the workday is made for the Sabbath, right? So it's not like rest is there to help us work well, like the work is there to help us rest well. And so when we're in that time of Sabbath, it's like that we have a taste of heaven or that we, um, I mean, we're supposed to do all the things that bring us joy, including lovemaking. So, you know, you eat your, you eat your ice cream, like <laughs> live your best life for, for that day. And, and so much so that it's not 24 hours, but 25, because we want to hold on to that sweetness for an extra hour. So like, there's so much in that tradition that just, it helps me not just make it through, but like reconnect with the places that can be joyful, reconnect with the even the sense of creativity that I sometimes don't really get to express in my day to day, like maybe I'll write a poem or draw a picture or sing a song or I, I, it, for me, it's just become a really yeah foundational practice. But I'm curious, what about you? Like what are some of the rituals that have, that have become know, more important? I've been important? trying to think about it. So, okay, I have two small kids. And so the idea of like relaxing and lighting incense and like, you know, for 20, uh, taking a 25 hour break from reality, like that doesn't exist. Um, And actually, I was thinking about that as I was reading your chapter on Sabbath, where I was like, wow, that sounds so relaxing. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) definitely not a parent over here. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I know. I'm like, oh, we'll get it in 18 years. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. (laughs) Who needs rest? Um, But I do, I I really like. Although, Claire, forgive me for interrupting. But I know that you're a fan of my mom, so I want to I want to share one more thing. Please. That I that's not that's not in the book. But like every day, she would sleep from like two fifteen to three, and we as kids learned very quickly that like you do not interrupt mom's nap time. And so, if there's any way that I can like give you permission to have naps and that the kids will not burn the house down for forty five minutes. Let, let me pass that on from my mom, Suzanne, to Thank you. Thank you, Casper's mom. Thank you, Mrs. Turkhal. Thank you, Suzanne. I, oh, oh, don't call her oh. Mrs. Turkhal. She, like, she would get phone calls from Mrs. Turkhal, and she would be like, that person does not exist, because she kept her own name. <laughs> the oh, mother can't God. call my phone anymore. Why not? Because she's dead. Um, <laughs> I want she's her on the show. Oh, my gosh. For real. That would be such an upgrade. <laughs> Stop. Okay. Well, thank you, Casper's mom. I'm can I think I'm gonna need a note from her for my boss though too. Um, <laughs> That's true. Casper, did you just give me snaps? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did. We got snaps and a teapot. I'm I so think happy. This is the first time in my life I've ever legitimately received snaps for something <laughs> un <laughs> unprompted. I'm just, I'm like this is a moment. Um, I have we have started. So when I was reading your book, I was like thinking I immediately like got like the, the Waldorf connection a little bit about your childhood. And I was thinking, um, you know, even that for my five-year-old got, you know, he had such like a ritual based life and it completely went away. And so we've now started doing more of that, like the, you know, the songs and the candles at, at dinner time and, um, and meal times. And, um, you know, uh, one of the things that with the kids we have turned into more of like, a formalized kind of mini ritual is hand washing because we're all doing that so yes. much 
that it's not like, oh, go wash your hands. Like it's like a thing every time. And so it's actually kind of something I wouldn't necessarily go so far as to say I look forward to it, but it's now something that I actually am mindful about instead of just like, oh, I got to get this over with. And I think that that is what I really took away from reading your book was like, a lot of this is stuff you're probably already doing. That's right. Yeah. And so what can you look at in your life that you're already doing that you can just like the word that came up so, 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 so much in your book that I've really stuck with is that intention that really that's the only thing that separates like a chore and a ritual. It's an intention. I love this. Yes. And, And this is why, there's so much to say about this. Let me let me build on what you were saying with the hand washing, though, because one of the things that we often mistake about ritual is that it's like decorative, that it's like fun or nice. And of course, it is those things, but it's also formative, like rituals embody stories and values. Um, and so like that hand washing ritual is about learning how to keep each other safe. It's about learning to, to respect everyone. It's about learning. Right. It, it, there's so much embodied in that simple action. Um, that intention that you're sharing with with the kids, it's, it's beautiful. Um, the, the kind of way I talk about it in the book is that you need three elements to take an everyday routine and, and make it a ritual. And the first one is exactly that, setting an intention. Um, so it's about something that's that's symbolic or it's filled with meaning. It's something, uh, maybe you want to remember a loved one who's passed. Maybe you want to um, feel gratitude or courage, right? Like there's, there's something bigger than the action itself. The second one is while you're practicing the ritual, how do you pay attention? So I love the hand-washing example because it's so tactile. Um, and so it's really embodied. It's a way of um, you know staying present while we're doing the thing. So it's not listening to a podcast or not trying to do eight other things at the same time. We're, we're paying attention, having set that intention. And then the last one is just repetition. So do it over and over and over again, exactly like the hand-washing. It's a daily practice. And, and with those three pieces in place, we can turn that thing that we're already doing into something that's much more um, of what I would call a spiritual practice, right? It's helping us express the values we have, become the kind of people that we want to be, remember the things that are, that are most important. Um, and that's, uh, it can be anything, right? It, it, just about probably, <laughs> but definitely hand washing fits in very nicely. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's it, like, that really takes the pressure off of having to create this, like, you totally. know, whole, like, totally. what's, what's the word, what's the noun version of monastery of like a monastery? Monastic, yeah, like monastic, monastic. Yeah, monastic. Yeah, yeah. I knew I was right. Was right next to it, and I think that that is also what people who were raised in strict religious households who have moved away from that, yes, are probably probably bump up against a lot. Is like, well, it, there it has to be so formal. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of guilt around it too. I mean, the Catholic guilt is real, where you feel like, well, Catholic I've never, you know, I'm not kidding. It's real. I know, I know, and it's. Uh, it's something that you think of, well, if I'm not doing that, then I'm a bad Catholic. Um, so there's a lot of guilt around like what that should look like. So I think that's just a beautiful way to look at it. I think of like showering of just like yes. getting the shower. Like when you were asking like how we do it, I thought the first thing that came to my mind was just a new routine for me. I'm a very routine person. I like going to yes. the gym at this time of day and then I get home and they get ready for work and I feed my dogs or I walk my dogs. Like I have a rhythm to my yes. life. Yes. And so when the pandemic hit, my routine was completely flipped around upside down mm-hmm. and I've noticed I have a new routine that is mm-hmm. like to the minute and we're raising a CCI or a service dog right now. We're raising a little oh. service puppy and she has a really strict routine too. Yes. And it's so funny because every night at eight o'clock on the minute she stands up and she looks around 
And she's like, I need to go to the bathroom and go to bed. And so we yeah. joke, my husband and I joke, we're like, cadets on a schedule because she just knows like, yes. this is my life. This is my schedule. And so I like look at her too, of just like, she puts me on a schedule and I kind of get into that rhythm and now I'm in this new rhythm and it's great and I love it and it's comfortable and like showering and feeding the dogs and walking the dogs. But it's just like, when I think of it that way of this like beautiful yes. rhythm, it's it's really neat to think of it. This is this is one of the big aha moments for me when I'm learning in divinity school about how religious life works when it works well is that structure equals freedom. Like we live in a culture where we think choice and possibility and endless options is what freedom means, but it is paralyzing. I mean, whether it's like 17 different types of toothpaste in the CVS aisle, or whether it's like, I could live anywhere, I could be in a thing, I can do whatever I want. I'm gonna watch, what mo what Netflix show do I wanna watch? I don't end up watching any because I'm just reading the freaking descriptions and watching the trailers <laughs> and it's suddenly 90 minutes later. Sorry that I'm getting overheated about that. No, I that so happened. relate to that. I was just like, you. I oh, had this awesome. like aha moment where I was like, oh, I could breathe. Yeah. No, this is so right. And I think, and I may not to, I want you to finish your yeah, yeah, very yeah. impassioned speech, but um, I think that this is so true. And I think it's so, you know, I don't want to be like all millennial about this, but like, I think that it is a huge thing happening at a this point in history where we do have more options than ever. And we also feel more stressed out about our paths than ever. Absolutely. And, and we, those two things are connected because if, if we, if there are not pathways, then we have to keep navigating every decision all of the time. Now I want to be really clear because the, the, the pathways that were set before meant that if you're a woman, you can't do this, right? If you're gay, you can't. And we don't want, we don't want that. Right. <laughs> we're I not do, saying keep the limitations. Absolutely. We're just right. saying keep the boundaries. Absolutely. It's we like, don't need like 30 choices for toothpaste. Is, yeah. A hundred percent. Um, and, and I mean, there's a whole conversation that we're probably not going to have that it connects with like the shape of our economy and capitalism, but we'll, we'll put that on the docket for next time. Ugh. But I, but I think the invitation for us is like, what are the things that I'm going to commit to? Right. And for, and for me, that included finding a life partner that I was like, okay, this, this is the choice I'm making. Hopefully he still feels the same way. Um, but like that, that in, in the commitments that we make, in in the um, in the structures that we choose, we can experience a depth or a richness that we can't experience when we're always leaving everything open, um, and and that it, I think is so countercultural to us. But I, I love that you kind of brought us in that joy with with the rhythm of the day because there is a so, like a solidness that can come right, and out of that grounding you can be more creative or you can be more courageous or you can be more, um, you know, whatever it is that you, that, that you're, that you're orienting your, your life towards. This was honestly the first story that we told in the podcast, Harry Potter and the sacred text. We told the story of a community in France, um, where they had always welcomed the stranger. That was the discipline. Whoever knocked on the door, they were welcome to join the table and have a, a, a bed for the night. And so in the 1940s, when, when Jews were trying to escape the, the Nazi occupation, Jews came to those, to those, it was a little Protestant town, knocked on the doors and said, can we hide? And people said yes, without even thinking about it, because they always welcomed the stranger. And it's that kind of discipline that, my God, I wish I had that. Like, I wish I had that kind of consistency and, and integrity. But I think that's, that's what I'm yearning for, is that kind of commitment that it means I don't have to choose whether I welcome in someone who knocks at my door who needs a place to sleep. It's like, of course, that's what I do. That's that's what we always do. Um, and I, I, yeah, I just find that still so powerful. 
I would be really interested to hear from people listening right now of like, <laughs> if somebody were to ask you like, what's one thing you always do? Yes. What would you even have an answer? Right. Like, That's such a good question. And, and it can be small. It can be small examples of, of uh, a teacher of mine, Seth Godin says he always carries dollars in his pocket. He's so amazing, by people, the way. Love him. Love, yeah. We love Seth. Because when people are asking for money on the street, the question isn't, do I give money or not? It's like, I always give money because he wants to practice generosity. And that man lives that generosity out in so many different ways, some visible, some not. Um, but like, it's because he practices it. And that, that's why these rituals are important because as I said, they, they're, they're formative. They, they help us become who we are. And if we're not intentional about who, who we want to become, then we're going to be shaped by the world around us. And like bad news is that's mostly drama creating selfish like a-holes um so like, i don't want to be guys. <laughs> <laughs> yes we're all right when left to our own devices we all become drama it's creating selfish true. a-holes you heard it here first it's true at least i do God. i hope i'm not no, alone I, I feel like i am only saying that with a hint of sarcasm because i think it is actually true yeah nodding i mean look at the present Anyway. Well, and okay, so this yeah. is, I think it's interesting also because like I grew up in a very, um, I don't say bizarre, but just like the religion, the religious tradition that I grew up in was not mainstream. Right. It, it's hard. I have yet to find a way to explain it without it sounding like a cult. It was not a cult. I, I'm just, I'm not going to go into it. The point of the story is that I, like we celebrated Christmas yeah. But we didn't celebrate it as Jesus' birthday. Jesus' birthday is in August. Right. And, you know, there were so many things like that yeah. where it was like I had and to this day have a just slightly different mm-hmm. understanding of most Christian and, you know, Abrahamic traditions mm-hmm. and why they are the way they are. And like, yeah, okay, well, we can celebrate it this way. But, like, you should know this is really what happened. Yeah. And I always felt so left out feels a little dramatic, but like, I wasn't quite in the club of like, you know, these like really cool, very more mainstream ways of celebrating. So I think coming into adulthood, I didn't bring any of, we don't, you know, we celebrate Christmas because again, it just, that's like, is the one thing we do. But like now that I have kids, it's become so much more apparent to me. Like I want them to have those things. So like, what can we do? But that feels authentic and doesn't feel like yes. when I was growing up, it very much felt like my parents were sort of doing it because they didn't want me to be left out, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. not because they really believed that like, this was the thing to do. And yeah. Casper, I appreciate that you have an appreciation for my religious upbringing because you know, Angie. Yeah. I, I, I know. I think coming at it from the opposite side of joy where it was like, it was so structured. Yeah. There right. was no wiggle room. Right. Um, and I think what I'm realizing is like at the end of the day, no matter what, you were born into or even still enjoy today like it's really up to you yeah yeah there's there's so much and and i love that you pointed us to think about like what are the things already in our lives and one of the things i talk about in the book is like going ritual spotting in your own life and and thinking about okay what were the things whether i grew up with them maybe it was with 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 work colleagues more recently maybe friends from from young adulthood what are the moments that have always brought me joy like maybe it's a certain recipe that i cook at a certain time of year maybe halloween is like oh my god the mecca of all meccas like wh- whatever it is i don't care just like go in on on the thing that you love 
um, and then give some structure and some discipline to that thing that you love. Um, so whether it's Harry Potter and you read it as a sacred text, I have a question. Or something else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, I'm like, it. I'm like, I just want to interrupt because I'm like, is this why when I see bloggers and people like posting about their Halloween to do list, like it feels good in my heart. Like I, it feels good to me. There's like something that I'm like, that feels like, like- I want to have. So here's something you need to know about Joy Casper <laughs> is that fall at Trader Joe's oh. is a spiritual experience for Joy. Oh, I, Joy, tell us about it. What are some of the <laughs> moments when you're like, we are in a sacred time? Like yeah, this, literally. This, tell, tell, like, what is it in, what do you see in Trader Joe's? What happens? Like, what, how do we know? Oh, because you go in and they yeah. have all the plants lined up. There's oh, like oh. fall plants and then they have sugar skull heads with plants yes. in them. For the fall, they have pumpkins everywhere and they have cinnamon brooms. If you've never had a cinnamon broom oh. in your house, it makes the house smell great. They amazing. also have fall scented candles that are amazing. Yes. They yes. have everything pumpkin flavored and they conveniently stack all of the pumpkin products in one display. So you can't even like you don't need to search for it. It's all right there. Pumpkin pancakes, Trader Jojo pumpkin flavor, pumpkin amazing. ice cream, maple. I mean, it's all right. So it's like the best... To, and I feel special going there to like get yes. the spe- And the other thing is it only happens once a year. So I can't get the products exactly. all year round. Exactly. So that's what makes it special. Those brooms sell out. So guys, okay. For everyone listening, I wish you could have seen Casper's face as Joy is describing this. He was like, just eating it up. Like, yes. I'm all yes. about it. Well, Pumpkin but his- Jojo's. But let's let's work with Joy's like sacred time and and like let's make it into a ritual because yes. so we we have we have that like this is such a joyful sense of like all the good things in your life is there is that like the first time you go you know when everything's there you buy the things like what like what happens when you get home is there like a special meal that you could like t- tell us about how we can how we can like level up the intentionality of like mocking this moment. Right. Okay. So, I mean, normally when I get home, I like show all the products to my husband because he gets very excited too. So I'm like, this is what we got. And I usually like put out all the candles and like, I I love getting plants. So if it's like, if I get an initial sugar skull or pumpkin plant, there's like, they have pumpkin holders and I put them around the house. So it's like an unloading of all the things. I'm not really a cook. I just unbox cookies and eat them. Perfect. That's (laughs) ideal. No, that's ideal. So is there a soundtrack that you listen to as you're putting things around the house? Normally, I've been, this is another thing that I was thinking of that I forgot to tell you is like lately, we've been listening to more music through the pandemic. And I've been listening to the chill station on Apple Music, because it just, it just plays the best songs that just kind of like have this undertone of soothing. So that's what I've been playing. So I don't have like a very specific, I'm super into um, Taylor Swift's new album, Folklore. So I've been, that's been on repeat. So I could just do that every year. I was going to say like, maybe there's a special playlist that could be made for Folklore. That's it. Right. Like that's going to be. That will never get old to me. Yeah. Done. (laughs) But it's, but it really is all about thinking of those moments and like we're talking about it in a lighthearted way, but like, this is a real deal, right? It like, is. It's going to make me cry. I don't know why I'm like emotional about this. <laughs> like, I get weird beautiful. about like sticking to traditions. There's like something yeah. in it that's like very emotional for me. So I'm like, is that a thing? Like, why do I get, it's almost like you question it. Is that it's silly? It's totally a thing. It's totally a thing. Because can I, I, I want to say no, one no, no, thing go ahead. to that. Go, go, go. go, go. This, is, this is like, it's not just like a, a weird, like wild thing. 
this is like what traditions are built around. Like we think about time as a linear experience, like 2020, 2021, 22, blah, blah, blah. But like sacred time is always traveling in a circle. We're always going through one year after another, but it's the same liturgical calendar is that kind of religious phrase. And there's a wonderful Benedictine nun, Joan Chichester, who describes when we pay attention to the liturgical year, when we intentionally mark those moments and, and buy those cookies and like smell those smells and like celebrate those moments, she calls it a process of spiritual ripening. And that like every time that we travel through the year, like our, our hearts expand or like, like fruit on the vine, we become sweeter and life becomes more delicious. And so that's, that's so powerful, especially if you're sharing it with other people, whether it's a partner, whether it's kids, like when it's an intergenerational thing, like that, that process is what helps us feel at home in the universe. So like, it's no wonder that it's so special. We're becoming spiritually ripe. Yeah, that's so great. That's You're so ripening great. on the vine. That's so great. But I, I think something that I keep thinking about too is like, if you look back through time, there humans do this naturally, no matter Absolutely. what. Absolutely. And what does that tell us if not that we need it? We are ritual making creatures. We are meaning making creatures. Like, and if it's that we don't understand how the sun works, right? It becomes a sun god. Turns out we know more about the sun. Awesome. But like, it's <laughs> so it's it's so much so much of meaning making is to help us make sense of the experiences that we're having. And and there are many things that can be explained by science. And thank God for that. But like, there are there are things that are still mysteries that maybe science can explain the how, but it doesn't necessarily explain the why. And so th th there are still questions that we're left with. And I think if we don't have ways of thinking about them or people to talk that talk about those things with, our lives are poorer for it. And I think we feel less human, right? That language is everywhere of like, oh, I feel like I can really be human with you, or this is a this was a real human moment. It's because that that's when we can feel like complete beings rather than, you know, just a CV walking around on legs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> can you say that one more time about the calendar? I need to get that in my head. The spiritual calendar, the spiritual ripening, yeah, yeah, just just that sense that every time when we move through time, as we travel through the year, that we're not making progress per se, like we're not going from one year to the next, yeah, but it's the same calendar every time. And so when we're reliving a specific moment, like Halloween, I see you're not just mm -hmm. you're not just in touch with this Halloween; you're in touch with every Halloween oh. that ever was. Oh. And that, I need that's to go like. So I need to go cry for like a year after this episode. <laughs> but that's why I love this stuff. Why well, like, why am I so emotional? This is so emotional for me. I don't know why. <laughs> well, nearly everyone has their Halloween equivalent. Like mm -hmm. one of my favorite things about doing, you know, having conversations about the book is people telling me about their rituals. And it is the most like pe people have the most wild and wonderful rituals that are important to them. Like it's so you would great. not believe from like getting into the car to a date that they move to the city that they live in. Like when we take those things seriously, I think our lives are richer for it. So let's do that. I love that idea of like over the years of like connecting to women 40, 50 years before us that were just like doing these same things. I'm right, like, oh, that's so cool. Years 500 us. years before yeah. us. Yeah. I just learned that 
the Celtic New Year is the same day as Halloween, and that's where the day of Halloween came from. So it's All Souls Eve in the Christian calendar. So it's the moment, right, the Day of the Dead, the moment when the portal between the living and the dead opens. Um, yeah, it's a it's a powerful time. There's the Equinox vibes in there as well, maybe. Who knows? Harvest like, stuff going right. on. Isn't this this year's Halloween super special? There's like a there's like three things happening at once. Full yeah, moon, right. Halloween, and time change all at once. Yeah, the daylight savings. So I think that, and I know we're, we're getting close to the end of our time, but one other quick thing that I've been thinking about a lot that I also think kind of ties into what we were just talking about is a feeling, especially in America, of cultural untetheredness. Yeah. And, you know, I see, like, I notice it come up for myself when I see videos of Native American rituals. Mm-hmm. And I feel almost jealous. Mm-hmm. Like, because for most Americans, we don't have a very strong sense of indigenous culture mm-hmm. and, you know, that it would not be appropriative, appropriative. Yeah. And so I think that's also a big thing that's missing that keeps us from having a real robust library of rituals to yes. refer to. Yeah. Is that something that you've noticed and or how have you kind of like yeah. reconciled that at all? Yeah. And this I know is, you're not American, but you are currently living in America. But I live here and I've lived here for eight years. Yeah, no, this is so important, Claren. It is intimately wrapped up in uh, American conceptions of race because one one of the, and so when we talk about most Americans and what you were just saying, I would say most white Americans. I, th- I think it's very, very wrapped up in the, the necessity as, as immigrants from Europe came to America to lose their Italian or their Irish or their Swedish identities and and to become American. You see this among folks of color as well, you know, the, the drive to become American, but I think it's especially pronounced with white people where those ties were cut with the old country, as it were, in order to embrace like hamburgers and, <laughs> and the movies, uh, right? And there's, there's wonderful things here. But it means that the cultural memory is very, very short. And, and, and that drifting, that sense of groundlessness um, is the price that, that, white people in America have had to pay to gain entrance into, into the, the privileges that whiteness gave. Um, and so that it's really important to think about the losses. And, and I want to be really clear here. This does not compare to the impact of racism on people of color. No, no, I, no, no, no. And I think, yeah, no, no, and I wanted to clarify I just, that I just, too. I just, no, I just want to finish this club because, because it, this is one of the reasons why I think as white people, and I'm assuming, you know, the three of us uh, from what I can see are white, Yes. That th- there is pain and loss for us in a system of racism too. That the that the, the drive to to build a racially just society is not just about like helping black people. It's about us being able to claim and live in a culture that feels truly ours to have that grounding. And so th- there's a political project in this whole question of ritual life too, because like everyone should have access to this. Right. Um, so f- forgive me for pushing through through your question, but that's really, really important to me. No, I think I and I think mine it just draws from what you're saying. Of like when I say, you know, that I look at Native American rituals and I almost feel jealousy. I'm not by any means. Oh, I hear you. You know, like that, you. the experience of being Native in America is full of trauma. Not at all. Not at all. But, but right. that sense of grounding and shared songs and stories. Right. And and. And, you know, it, yes. and I just, it came up when Joy was saying, oh, you know, connect to someone 50 years ago. Like, what about 5,000 years ago? Yes. You know, what were my ancestors doing? Yeah. Who even were my ancestors? Why don't I know that? Right, right. And there's a, there's a big, there's a, I think there's a growing hunger for folks to, to, to learn about this. And you see folks taking kind of ancestral 
uh, travel journeys to whether, whether it's, you know, folks of color returning to, to, um, you know, whether it's Ghana or somewhere on the West coast of Africa, or it's, you know, Jews going to Ukraine or going like f- folks are hungry to find, okay, what are my ancestral roots? Like, where can I, where can I claim with, with integrity uh, traditions that, f- that can feel like my own? And that's, you know, I have Dutch parents, so I grew up in England, but I'm, I don't have English heritage. Um, so that's that's a real question for me too. Even as a non-American, is like, okay, I have I have these multiple roots. How how can I feel truly truly grounded? So I think it's a really beautiful question, Claire. And I think throughout the world, there are probably very few people who still live and only live in the land that their ancestors are from. Right. right. So I'm sure this comes up for a lot of people. But totally. But and and today this, feels pronounced yeah. in America. Well, and I want to make sure that we don't pick paint a picture that's like, oh, if only like everything was pure and we were Italian or like whatever it was, because like the world is also always intermingling, right? Like again, people have have you know have kids in multicultural contexts. People do move, and so there isn't. I don't want to paint an essentialist picture, but I do. I do want to invite us to find where are the roots that can go deep, even if they if they come from multiple places. Um, it's it's about the depth rather than the singular place, if that makes 100%. sense. One hundred percent, and I think it's also just about that finding something that feels true to you and and using yeah. that as a starting place of like, okay, this is something to exactly use your words like that you can claim as your own. Yes. That you know that you it is not appropriative. That is not you know yeah. grafting onto something that really doesn't. You know, like what what if I look back through the years, could I kind of have some ownership with? Yeah. That yeah. I can be proud of. Yeah. All right, Casper. Beautiful. It's been far too short of a time. I know, far too Thank short. You. I, we didn't even talk about how one time you fell I, off a cliff because you were dancing to Greece. You know, we go together. <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't even get into You've Got Mail, which is also uh, something I wanted to talk to you about. Story from the whole book. <laughs> Folks, I'll just have to read the book. Yeah, so you can find me um, at caspertta.com where you can buy the book. And, um, and we've talked a lot about kind of rituals in a yearly structure. I've got a beautiful um, ritual life planner, which you can buy if you go to caspertk.com um, slash ritual. Uh, and you can listen to the podcast, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text and uh, follow me on social at caspertk. Man, you nailed it. You I really didn't know nailed that. it. You must be a podcaster. <laughs> 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 All right, you. wait, hold on. Before we, before we stop, everyone listening, yeah. this is the question for you next week. Please send us a voice memo about something in your life that is a ritual that you either have and maybe just realize that you had it, that you have and fully embraced and knew that it was ritualized or that you want to create. Mm-hmm. So you can send us a voice memo. This is joyandclaire at gmail.com or send it to us in an email. You guys know the drill and we will uh, play some of them on the podcast next week. And hopefully Thank Joy you, will Kat. cry again about Halloween. Or, she, or that was not expected. That was not expected. I'm like, I need to go talk to my therapist. Yeah, it's no, great. It was totally needed. I told my heart needed that today, Casper. Yeah, my heart needed so, that today. It was great. Thanks for having me, you guys. This Thank awesome. you so so much. <laughs>